0: We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us to worship you. God, to to get together so that we can glorify your mighty name, so that we can solidify how awesome you are through our singing, through the hearing of your word. Lord, I know that as we do these things, that you're going to bless us with your spirit. And Lord, as we seek you this week, I believe that you're going to fill all of us up who seek you with your power, with a power that is unimaginable, unfathomable. Lord, and it's with that power that we get to love and pursue you. Lord, with a commitment that will not waver. Lord, I ask that we have mercy and grace to live with a heart like your own. So give that to us, a piece of your heart. Lord, today I ask the rest of us that as we seek you, as we seek you, that you would heal us from any illnesses, from stresses, from hurts, from pains, from failures. Because God, we know that we live in a broken world, a sinful world. And that in the midst of that, you chose us to be your children. And Lord, that we have hope to rejoice, to revel with absolute joy of being in your presence. Give us a fresh encounter today and help us experience your goodness. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we started this brand new series, Church, Why Bother? Like, why bother with church? And it brought us to the book of 1 Timothy. It brought us to the book of 1 Timothy, where we started to explore why we bother with church. And so two weeks ago, despite our hyper-individualistic, phobo filled society that we live in, that's fear of better options, because we know that's why people don't do church. There are better options to do community with, right? We talked about what the church is, who the church is. Last week, we we shifted gears in in going from what the church is and who the church is to what the church values, the gospel, and what happens when we hold that value hard, and that's what we hold on to fast. Today, we're going to switch gears again and examine what it looks like when the church does what the church is called to do, because the church has a purpose. And so that brings us to chapter 2 in 1 Timothy, where the Apostle Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy in the church of Ephesus. Let's read that together. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul makes it very clear. The work of the church is when we gather together, we pray. When we gather together, we pray. That's the work of the church. I wish that was the end of the sermon, but it's not. Right? We pray for all people, especially those people who are in power, for the gospel to advance so that God's creation can receive Him. That's so simple, right? How how many people here believe that when we pray, we should be praying for all people? Don't raise your hands. I I see some of you, right? All of us, right? All of us should be raising our hands, right? And we know this, right? We know. That this is good. In theory, and it's great. We know we should pray for all people. How many actually do that, though? How many people actually practice praying for all people? Very few of us, if any at all, right? And this is where it becomes a part of hurt for us. Because we need to be convicted that we need to be praying for all people. We know it's good. We know that's exactly what God calls us to do, but we don't do it. And the reason we don't do it, if you start thinking about it, is because we don't actually believe that our prayers mean anything. Or or maybe we believe that philosophically and and principally, but we we don't actually love the people that we're praying for. Most likely, we, we may even hate them. We have more frenemies than actual enemies, and we have more enemies than we do friends. And we can't actually remember the last time we prayed for somebody other than me. And so I'm going to tell you that if we are not praying, prayers, asking God to change the eternities of people who are far from God, we've missed a point. We missed a point. And we have to start questioning and asking ourselves, do we actually believe that God still works? that God is still alive, that God hears us as we pray. I want to tell you the story of Monica. Monica, she she was a devout Christian woman. She, She was married to an atheist. He was actually a functional alcoholic with lewd and violent tendencies. And I'm not going to get into what those tendencies were. But they had three kids together, two sons and a daughter. She tried her best to raise them Christians to proclaim the good news in her household. It it didn't all take. That's probably pretty obvious because I'm telling the story. One of her sons was real smart, like genius level talent, right? Um, He he was so smart that he went to a boarding school for gifted kids, right? In a city, in a country that's far away from where they lived. Um, The problem is when he went there, he tried to fit in. And when he tried to fit in with a bunch of rich, entitled kids, they ended up doing what rich entitled kids do, bad things without consequences. And so he fell into the wrong crowd, and mom and dad weren't there to corral his behavior, right? So it started with, you know, just stealing. Then it became robbery. Then it became, you know, getting drunk everywhere. Then it became um, going out with prostitutes. Then it became this and that and so on and so forth. And every single time that Monica had... With her son that was now engaging in this behavior, she tried to proclaim the gospel to him, try to evangelize him. That's what all good mothers do, right? Try to change their kid. And despite her best work in evangelism, he shut her down because he was real smart. He knew the ways of the world, he knew that she couldn't beat his arguments. So that started Monica off praying for 17 years. 17 years that God would intervene in her son's life. That he would repent from sin. That he would receive Jesus as his savior and live a life that he was called to live. And she prayed for him for 6,210 days. 6,210 days. At the ripe age of 31... He received the gospel. He accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. And what I have to say is, though, he didn't accept it because Monica's great evangelism. Not at all. It probably paid a little bit of a part, but he really accepted the gospel because of her prayers, because God listened and intervened, Right? And we we know that he intervened because what what we know about this young man, this son, is that randomly something happened. He was hungover the next morning when it came to him that he has to open up a Bible, flip to Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, and that's what convinced him to give his life. Let, Let me read that verse for you, right? It says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. I told you this son, he loved prostitutes. In fact, he loved prostitutes so much that he didn't want to be in a relationship with a real woman. He preferred the relationship he had with his prostitute. And he even began to live with her. And they had a son. And Monica prayed while watching that, watching his son do more horrible and debaucherous things. And it was out of this situation that God saved him. That's amazing. That's amazing that this verse came to him. It's amazing that he read this verse and decided, wow, there is a God. My mom wasn't joking. It's amazing how we all of us are beneficiaries of the son. You, you see, that this boy became the man Augustine. Augustine, if you don't know, he was an early church father. He lived in the 4th and 5th century. And Augustine shaped most Western theology, most philosophy, most rhetoric, most pedagogy, most ethics. He was the man responsible for all of that. We wouldn't be here in a church in a setting like this without him. None of this, though, would have happened if his mother gave up on him. If she saw sin after sin after sin and said, I'm no longer going to pray because God doesn't hear me. So if you are sitting here, if you're sitting here right now and you've been praying for a wayward family member, and it's been so long, you begin to wonder whether you actually want to continue to pray. I'm going to tell you, don't give up. Do not give up because God is listening. Keep going. If you're here, and if there are promises or bondages that you know are a part of your life, don't give up. God hears you. He is listening to you. Those prayers are not landing on deaf ears. But... If you're not praying because you have given up, because you don't feel like there is hope, I'm going to tell you right now, as you open your mouth in prayer, that the power of God is waiting to be unleashed. It will happen. So keep praying. Start. Don't doubt. Pray instead of complain. You, You see, what we know about God is this, that he loves us. And because he loves us, he listens to our prayers. He he loves us because we received his one and only son, Jesus Christ. As we received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were adopted into God's household. And God is a loving father. God is a good father, and that's what we know about him. And the reason God is listening to our prayers is because he is a good father to us. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says about God listening to his people and the prayers of his people. This is from Matthew chapter 7. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things who ask of him? In Mark chapter 11 verse 24, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In Luke 11 verse 9 and 10, Jesus says... And I will tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. And then in John chapter 14, 13 and 14, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that my Father can be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So don't doubt, don't doubt that your prayers are landing on deaf ears, but I I know where some of us land, right? Some Some of us are thinking, that's great, Jonathan. These disciples, they can articulate, they can articulate the prayers that they need God to answer. I just can't. My wife doesn't even understand what I'm saying. My kids, they don't understand the slang I'm talking about. They think I'm from a different world. And so how can God understand what I'm trying to pray? And this is what Jesus says about that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So simple. Isn't that awesome? That is so awesome because what Jesus is telling us is this, that prayer shouldn't be complicated. It doesn't matter if it's unclear. He already knows. Just get it out there. Get it out there because God understands you. And Jesus doesn't end his teaching on prayer just there. He's saying, you know what? I know I said all of this stuff, and I know I told you that it's that easy, but some of you still don't believe. So I'm going to actually give you words and thoughts to put into your prayers because maybe that will help you and convince you this is how easy it is. So he continues to say in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he says this, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Yes, you're addressing God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's it. That's it, right? And and, you know, all we have to do is get the words out of our mouths. But let, let, let me tell you, when we start thinking deeply about what Jesus is actually teaching about prayer, what we have to understand is that when we say things like, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is that our prayers are not empty or vague. They're not just words we throw out there, but they have meaning to us, that things will change, that he will intervene. So prayer, when we start thinking about it this way is simply asking God to change the fabric of our known world and transform it specifically the way he sees it. You see, prayer is not something that we do when we have time left over in the day. It's active and specific. And most of all, it's dangerous. It's saying everything that we know and have experienced, God, I want you to change that into your reality. When we think about our own prayers then, And I don't mean the prayers that we pray, trying to get the winning lottery numbers. What is the basic premise that we pray? Is it just about us? Or is it about changing the fabric and reality of the lives of the people around us? You see, this is a great opportunity. This time that we live in, our messed up society and culture that we lament and complain about, this is the right opportunity for us. For God to do his will on earth. Right? It's no longer acceptable for us to sit in comfortable Christian circles and hide and shelter ourselves away because the world is so broken. This is our opportunity to say, God, change it. Do something that will blow us away, that would make this reality more like yours, so that your glory can come. There's a political theologist, right? And what that means is he's a theologian, a guy named Walter Wink, who studies the intersection of political movements, And how the church affects and impacts those political movements. And he coined this phrase. He coined this phrase. He says, history belongs to the intercessors. And the reason he coined that phrase is because what he's found in his studies, in his research, is that every time the status quo of culture or society has moved and shifted, it was the result of God's people praying or not praying. And so... He looked at all these big milestones in culture, right? And he said, when we look at public schools, the advent of public hospitals, orphanages, the abolition of slavery and civil rights, he's found that those things that happened in society, they weren't because of political guile or some type of grassroots organization. It was because God's people decided that they were going to get together and pray, And in their prayer, things shifted and moved in people. And people began to change and believe things. And the will of God was done. And that's the world that we're living in. This is an opportunity for us to participate in the will of God and the work of God in our world. That brings us to our passage today. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he knew exactly he knew exactly what would happen if God's people, when they got together, would happen. That we would pray. That we would have this opportunity to actively participate and be compelled to participate in God's salvific work for the world. Let, let, let's read verses one through four in First Timothy chapter two one more time. Because I want us to see specifically how we need to pray God's will be done. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. You can underline that phrase, all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. You see, God's will on earth as it is in heaven happens when we start praying for all people, when we pray for government leaders. Because when we pray for these people, all people, all people can be saved and come to the knowledge and truth of who his son is. You see, this is real important. And so as I was studying this passage this week, I I was like, why why does... Paul, repeat himself, because supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, those all, we kind of use them all interchangeably as types of prayers. And so I started thinking, well, why does he say it this way? And the more I studied and the more I thought about this, the more I prayed myself, it's because what Paul is saying to Timothy is, it's not enough for you to pray one way for all people. There has to be a variety of ways that you pray for people because one way of praying doesn't fit all. But when we have all these ways of praying for people, we have a lot to say about these people in prayer. It changes the conversation that we have with God. And so when we're praying not one dimensionally but multivariately like this, we have much to say about how we want God's kingdom to come in their lives and the gospel to advance. And so it's important for us today to understand what those four methods are of praying. And I just want to go over them with you so that we can put them in practice, right? The first type, and this is how he goes, supplication. Supplication simply means to beg, right? It's the type of praying that begs or implores God for needs to be met. A lot of us are good at this type of prayer. God, I need you fill in the blank, provide it to us. Amen. That's most of our prayer. This is where most of our prayers live. I need to be healed. I need food. I need a job. I need a girlfriend. I need a child. I need, I need, I need. And so we're good at this, I need. But here's what we we really have to understand is, how far has that gone from us to all people? Probably not very far. Have we even gone to all people? Not not even all people. We, We won't extend it to all people. Have it gone to somebody in this building? To somebody in your own home. Do you remember the last time you supplicated for the needs of someone else? And if you don't remember that, I'm going to give you a real good solution, right? You can go to the lobby after the service, right? Go say hi to somebody. And don't even ask their names. Don't, don't, don't talk about the weather. We know it's snowy and cold, right? <laughs> forget, forget the pleasantries, right? Ask them, how can I pray for your needs now? Simple. Wow, that, that's easy. Just do it, right? That, that's the icebreaker. How can I pray for you and your needs right now? That, that's, that's all you have to do. And then pray for that person. Get their information. Pray for that person. And, and that's what it means to supplicate for somebody. And Paul says, we need to do this. This is the type of prayer we need to engage in for all people, for our government leaders, so the gospel can advance. And, and then Paul says, you know what? There, there's another type of prayer. It's called praying. Praying, right? And, and what he's talking about is, Praying for someone is lifting somebody up to a place and a point where they're kind of important to you. It's not an afterthought that you do after you're ready to go to sleep. It's something that's so important to you that you lift their names up to God. Have you lifted somebody's name up to God and said, God, I care for this person. Can you care for this person too? This is the type of prayer that causes us to die to ourselves and say, God, I don't want to talk about me. God, I want to talk about this other person. I'm going to talk about this other person and make him rise or make her rise to the top of my priority list. Make him a part of your priorities, right? And besides your immediate family, this is what we need to do to lift others up to that level of priority. This is what Paul is saying that we need to do when we pray for all people. This is what changes people. And the third thing he says is intercessions. Intercessions is intervening on behalf of somebody else because if you didn't intervene in their lives, their lives would be ruined, right? The reason we intervene in the lives of people, the reason we have interventions is because if we didn't cause their normal everyday being to change or force them to change, their life would be ruined. So when we intercede for them and ask God, I want you to intervene by changing the fabric of their reality. This is how much you love them. You can't love someone if your heart does not break for them. If your heart does not break for them, just imagine where you would be. Because your life, the way you live, broke someone's heart that they prayed over you and caused God to intervene in your life. the, The reason any of us are here, the reason any of us can claim God and claim Jesus is because somebody's heart broke for us enough that they would intercede on our behalf and say, God, change their lives. Change their lives because without you, they're lost. Change their lives. The lives of my son, of my daughter, of my brother, of my sister, of my uncle, of my grandfather, change their lives because it breaks your hearts that they're so far from you. And it broke my heart to see them that far. God, change them and intervene in their lives so that something will happen, that they would recognize you as they need you. Then Paul says to Timothy, pray the prayer of thanks. In particular, give thanks for the people, all people, especially those you want to complain about because complaining is just a waste of time because complaining doesn't change anything. In fact, it's our worst habit, isn't it? We complain about people. But Paul says, give thanks for them. Give thanks for them. Because when we pray prayers of thanksgiving, what's going to happen to you, it's going to change the neural pathways in your mind. And what you're going to see is that you see those people that you're giving thanks for, that you want to complain about, in a light that's not colored by your own sinfulness. It gives you a different perspective of who they are, why they are. When we pray this way, these four different ways, when we supplicate for people's needs, when we lift them up to God, when we intercede on their behalf, when we give thanks for them, that's what brings heaven here on earth because God's will will move and it's going to cause us to say a lot of things about a lot of people. And God listens to those prayers specifically. He is not a God that walks away from specific asks. Uh, Let let me give you an example of how this works, right? So you, you have a boss. This boss made you work your fourth straight day of unpaid overtime, right? Fourth straight day of unpaid overtime. And so it's just not enough for you to give thanks to God for that boss, is it? There's only so much thanks you can give about that boss who made you work a fourth straight day of unpaid overtime, right? You need to supplicate for that boss's needs, don't you? Obviously, your boss needs something like another employee, right? And I mean, you know, that, that's what you do. You, you supplicate for your boss, right? And then, you know, you, you start interceding because even if that boss had another employee, what good would it do, right? You, you need God to intervene on that boss's behalf because, boy, he or she needs help being a boss, right? And then it happens there. You spend this much time thinking about your boss, you start lifting your boss up to importance because without your boss, you would have nothing to do. You would have nothing to pray about. And so you just start lifting your boss up in prayer. And he or she becomes that important to you. And God hears that. God will move with that. If that boss happens to be your own child, because I think I just described my toddler. (laughs) You know they need prayer and not just one type of prayer. All of it. All of it. Any different way you possibly can. But I mean, that, that's, that's what prayer is. That's what's going to move the needle. Verse 5, verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. When we pray for all people so that the gospel would advance in their lives, the gospel advances. That's exactly what Monica prayed for her son. That's what some of you are praying for your own children, for your own parents, for your own brothers and sisters. That's why all of us are here, because people prayed over us and for us. And God moved mightily and advanced in our lives. You see, God's heart was broken for his creation. That's why Jesus Christ came. He lowered himself to the form of a human being to walk with us, to live sinless, to choose to die for you and me because we could not ever in a million, billion years pay the cost, pay the penalty of our sin. That pain that was meant for us, he took it. He bore it. He didn't have to. And then he died. He didn't die naturally. He died the most horrific way possible, bleeding slowly until his very last breath. But see, even death, death couldn't hold him back. Death couldn't hold God back. He was resurrected on the third day. On the third day, Jesus came back from the dead, and that's what gives us hope. That's what tells us that our prayers are not in vain, that when we pray, there's an eternity waiting out there because heaven is there and is coming here on earth. God is going to bring it right? That's what we have. And so if you are sitting here today and you've never received the good news of Jesus, receive it. It does not take much. All you have to do is believe and say, God, I need you to rescue me from my sin. And he will do it. He already has. And he's going to give you an eternity. And it starts now. Verse seven. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. This is our calling people a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So we pray for all people. We pray for all people, everyone we can. We name them and we lift them up specifically in supplication and intercession and prayer and thanks because God appointed them to be in our lives for a reason so that we can pray for them. Church, it is time for us as His disciples to pray and to intercede for those who love us, for those who hate us, for those who persecute us, because that is the only way we're gonna witness God's kingdom unfold here in our lives, in our generations, and God will do it. I believe He's gonna do it, and I believe He's gonna start here. Who will you pray for? So that God and His gospel would advance. Is it gonna be your son? Is it gonna be your daughter? Is it gonna be a family member? Spouse, a co-worker, a neighbor, cousin, grandchild, a boss, a bully or an enemy. Name them. Name them specifically because they are people. Not as an afterthought, but someone who is important and loved by God. You see, God has given us this rare opportunity, this power to change the course of society through our prayers. Don't squander it. Don't squander it. All of you should have received this card coming in. If you don't have this card, you can use your bulletins. I know all of you have gotten bulletins online. If you don't have this card, that's okay. You can write it right in your notes. We're going to do an exercise together. We're going to do an exercise together. On the bottom of your card, write your full name. First name and last. First name and last. And when you've done that, add your phone number. Not your landline, your cell phone number. Right? First name, last name, phone number. Write it down at the bottom of the card. Write it legibly. And then when you're done, hold up your card. Man, some of you have forgotten how to write. You're still going. Okay this card has nine lines on it, right? It has nine lines on it. I'm going to ask you to use three right now, okay? What you're going to do is on the first three lines of this card, I want you to write the first name and last name of three people that you're going to pray that the gospel advances in their life this year. First name, last name, write their names. First three lines. If you don't remember the last names, describe them. The bald guy with the great goatee or something, right? Write it down. Specific as possible. Now's the hard part and I'm gonna give you a few more minutes to write this down. Next to their names, I want you to write specifically how you want God to advance the gospel in their lives. Write specifically how you want God to advance the gospel in their lives. Uh, let me give you some examples if, it, if I'm being you know, kind of generous right now. If they're antagonistic to you or things of faith, ask God to Open up the door where they're softer to things of religion and faith. Write that they should simply receive Jesus as their Savior and that they're going to do so by coming to church with you. Or or write that they would be reconciled with you because you're not talking. You go in a different direction as them. Write it down, be as specific as possible. Okay, now flip your card backward. Go to the back. You're black. There's nothing there, right? Here's what I want you to write on top of that card. I want you to write how frequently you're going to be praying for these people. Are you going to pray for them every morning, every evening, every morning and every evening, at mealtimes? But I want you to list it specifically. I'm going to pray for this person or these people at lunchtime every day or I'm going to pray every evening before I go to bed every day or every other day. But I want you to write it right now. The frequency at which you're going to be praying for these people. On the bottom of that page... I'm going to ask you for your schedule. When are you going to engage these individuals that, whose names you've listed to check to see if the gospel had advanced? Are you going to check to see if the gospel advanced in their lives over coffee a week from now? Or are you going to do it over dinner a month from now? I want you to write it. I'm going to have dinner a month from now to see if the gospel has advanced. Or I'm going to have coffee with so and so, a week from now, to see if the gospel has advanced. I, I want to invite the band up, but none of us are going to leave yet. Marv, make sure we lock the doors. <laughs> don- don't worry about your kids; they'll be fine in kids' men. They they know we're running late. You know, don- don't worry about lunch. We got to let the brunch crowd leave first, right? We're not done yet. Okay. Now I want all of us to gather in threes or fours with the people around you. If you came by yourself, gather with three or four, okay? Three or four people, get up and do it, do it. I don't want to see anyone sitting alone. Three or four people with the people around you, three or four, okay? (laughs) Three or four people, okay? Well, once you've gathered with those people... If you do not know the person that you are with, show them the bottom of your card where you wrote your name and your phone number. If you don't know the person that you're with right now, show them your name and your phone number. And the people who are sitting in those three and fours, make sure you take their phone numbers down. All right? Y'all got to listen, you got to listen now, right? You've taken these numbers, right? You've taken these numbers, you've taken these names. On Thursday this week, on Thursday this week, you're going to call or text that person. Call or text that person and ask them, how's it going? How have they been praying? All right? That's the purpose. Three or four. I want all of us to stand. Stand with the three or four that are next to you. What we're going to do is we're going to sing the song. We're going to sing this song and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for just one name on each of our cards as we're gathered in this group of three or four. Just one name with the the specific qualities and the specific things that you wrote down on your card already. We're going to pray. All of us are going to take a turn praying out loud with the three or four people that are gathered with you. And then... We wanna close out our service. So let's sing this song and then pray together.